Today for our gospel lesson, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56, the Magnificat, Mary's song of praise in Luke chapter 1. Hear the words of this song. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor upon the lowness of his servant. Surely from now on generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in the remembrance of his mercy. According to the promises he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we talked last Sunday in worship, during the season of Advent, we're going to be focusing upon the beloved song, O Holy Night. It's kind of our inspiration and kind of our guide for worship in these coming days. We're going to be honing in on the different verses and their meaning and then connecting them to Scripture and what that means towards us in our life. Today's verse from O Holy Night will be much like Mary, will be a song, will be a song of hope. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. The thrill of hope. I love that line, the thrill of hope. Isn't hope thrilling? Uh, Today we see Mary living out that thrill of hope. We're going to talk about her in this beautiful song, the Magnificat, together today in worship. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. One of my favorite kind of stories in literature, in pop culture literature, just in literature in general, is the story of the unexpected hero. I, I, I love that story of the guy or gal who you don't expect to do great things, and then they turn out to be this great hero. And there's, you've heard the story so many times. Think of how many times you see the underdog win, or, or you see the one who nobody expects anything of become the great hero. Um, my favorite kind of recent pop culture example of this is Captain America. Spo- I'm giving some spoilers. So if, you're, if, you, if you haven't watched Captain America, don't know who Captain America is, then spoiler alert right now. But Captain America is the story of Steve Rogers, uh, a very puny, very weak, very small man who gets an injection of the super soldier serum, say that five times fast, and becomes this huge, muscular, amazing soldier, Captain America. And the, the thing I like about the, 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 the story of Captain America is this super soldier serum basically takes whatever you are and magnifies it. And the reason why Steve Rogers becomes Captain America is because inside he is innocent and he is kind and he is virtuous. So even in his uh, extreme form of Captain America, he continues to be gentle and kind in the midst of all this. And sometimes in the comic books, some bad guys will take the serum and their evil becomes magnified under this serum, Roger's virtue becomes magnified under this serum. But it's, 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 it's neat to see that as he becomes Captain America and strong and fast and brave and all these type of things, he never loses who he is. He, he still has this, the heart that he had even when he was small and weak. And if you'd have known Steve Rogers before he took the super soldier serum, you would have never expected him to become Captain America. 
So Captain America is many ways the story of this unexpected, this unexpected hero who does great things. We see this a lot throughout, not just in fiction, but in real life. I was, I was watching football the other day and watching, uh, watching um, I, I know a friend of mine in the church is a fan of the Washington football team, used to be the Redskins. And, um, and one of, I was thinking about one of their Super Bowls recently, um, one, of the, one of their many Super Bowls they won where, uh, where Doug's, uh, or Doug Williams is the MVP of the Super Bowl, throws for a bunch of yards and a bunch of touchdowns and, and becomes the, the MVP. And if you watch the game, there was an unheard of running back by the name of Timmy Smith who runs for over 200 yards in the game. And, and Smith never had many big games before the Super Bowl and never has many big games after the Super Bowl. But he, he, in this moment, is the Super Bowl hero because he runs for all these yards and it's so unexpected. And nobody expects it to happen. Nobody looks for it to happen. It just kind of comes out of nowhere, this great, uh, this, this great success that he has with uh, kind of unexpected success. It, it's these unexpected heroes are, uh, are quite something. C.S. Lewis, of course, is my hero of the faith, him and John Wesley. And if you were to look at Lewis's life, you would not have expected C.S. Lewis to become this great apologist for the Christian faith. But he does. He becomes this great hero of the Christian faith. And it kind of comes out of nowhere. He wasn't from a prominent family. He wasn't supposed to be some intellectual giant. But yet he gets saved. And God does amazing things with his life. He becomes this true hero of the Christian faith. God takes things that are unexpected and does amazing things with them. He has shown the strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with the good things and set the rich empty away. That's the story of the Magnificat. It's always cool to me when God takes the underdog and does amazing things with them. We see that so often in Scripture, don't we? We see it with Moses. We see with Moses how he becomes this hero of the faith after, after, after originally having run from, 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 and fleeing from Egypt because of his mistakes in a sense. We see it with David. David was the runt of the litter of his family. In fact, he was out shepherding when, when Samuel comes in to anoint the next king. And they don't even think about David because how could he be the one who would be the king? And, and he comes and doesn't look like the king, but yet inside of him is the king. Inside of him is the one who would become the great king of Israel. We see it with Paul. Paul is a Pharisee. When he, when he first gets saved and goes from town to town to town, they don't believe that Paul could possibly be a Christian. How could Paul be a Christian? Look what all he's done. How could he be this evangelist to the Gentiles? Look at all that he's done. There's no way. We see it with Mary. Mary, to me, is one of the icons of the Christian faith because Mary is this, there's this beautiful scene before the Magnificat where Mary uh, is told that she will have Jesus 
And she, her response to the angel is this. One of the, one, to me, one of the, some of those beautiful words in all, script, in all Scripture where Mary says to the angel, let it be unto me according to thy word. Mary is this great example of what faith is and what faith looks like. And it's unexpected. She's a young girl. She, she is not from, she, she would not expect Mary to be the one that this happens through. But it's her. She's an unexpected hero. Luke has a good way of, of showing us these things. Luke's gospel has a good way of showing these things to us. Uh, Luke is an interesting study himself. As I've shared with you before, every gospel has its own kind of point of emphasis and own kind of point that they're showing. Um, Matthew is very Jewish, and you see a lot of the Old Testament quotations in Matthew's gospel. Uh, Mark is very immediate, very going to the point, getting right to the point. Ma- Mark doesn't even have a Christmas story. He just jumps right into Jesus' ministry. Um, John is trying to tell you all the ex- explanations for who Jesus is. But Luke, Luke is an interesting character because Luke is a, he is a Gentile Christian, which puts him in an interesting position. So he's Gentile which means that the Jewish believers kind of gave Luke the side eye. Go read Galatians. You see in Galatians that Paul and Peter are having some conflict over the role of Gentiles. You see that all throughout the book of Acts, this conflict of what should we do with Gentiles? Should they first be Jewish before they become a Christian? What are we going to do with them? So Luke being a Gentile really isn't accepted at first by a lot of the Jewish believers. But then Luke is a Christian. So the Gentiles think he's lost his daggum mind. He's part of some Jewish cult. So there's Luke not really being accepted by anybody. He's kind of an outcast to everyone. He's kind of an outcast to the Gentiles. He's kind of an outcast to many of the Jewish believers. So that's why Luke's gospel is so interesting because it has within this all these stories of the outcast. He has this beautiful chapter, um, the story of the lost things, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. There's a beautiful Bible study that I've done before. Some of you may have done it called the Disciple Bible Study, which over the course of a year looks at the different gospels, different books of the Bible, rather. And the way it describes Luke's gospel was the gospel of the least, the last, and the lost. That's always stuck with me. Luke has a way of finding the outcast. And we see that today in Mary's story. There she is, this unexpected hero, this one that you would not have made her the hero of the story. But of course, Jesus is the hero, but Mary is faithful. And because of her faithfulness, we meet Jesus. Because of her willingness to be used, we meet Jesus. Because of who she is, we meet Jesus. Mary sings this beautiful song, the Magnificat. And this entire song is a song of how God lifts up the unexpected, how God lifts up the lowly, how God lifts up the outcast, how God lifts up the one that others may have forgotten, how God lifts up the one that others may have ignored, like David, like Paul, like Luke, like Mary. That God is the God who is always lifting these individuals up and pulling them up so that they can be seen and known and loved and used by God for his goodness and his mercy and his plan. God takes the weak and the humble and uses them. 
And he does this so that there is no doubt that it's God who is the one who does it. God's plan is so magnificent and so amazing that there can be no doubt that it's God who is the one that is doing this. That it's God who is the one who is fulfilling this. How is God who is the one at work in all things? God takes the lowly and uses them for good. Uses them for his purpose. He takes the unexpected hero and uses the unexpected hero to do amazing things. That's what he does all throughout Scripture. And that's what he does today in our life. You know, we look at the world and we see a world that looks like a mess, doesn't it? A world that looks full of trouble and trials. A world that looks like there's no hope. We see division. We see discord. We see hatred. We see so much in our world that as Christians makes us so sad. That Christians, as Christians, causes us to lose hope. To think what hope is there in this world? What hope can there possibly be? What can possibly happen or change in this world? And goodness, what can I do about it? What role can I play? What role can our church play? What can we possibly do in the midst of this world that seems on fire? In the midst of this world that seems broken. In the midst of this world where there seems like nothing we can do. And that's the lie that the devil wants us to believe. He wants us to believe that we can't do anything and that nothing can be changed and that nothing can be done to make it better and that we should just give up and quit trying. That's, that's the lie the devil wants us to believe is that there's nothing that can be done and that this is just the way that it is. So why should we care? Why should we try? Why should we work? Why should we worry? What can we possibly do? What can we insignificant people do in this world where there's so much? Why should we even care? Why should we even try? What's the point of it? There's no point. Just give up. It's like what uh, the great line in Scripture that Job's wife tells Job at the lowest. She tells him, curse God and die. It's what the devil would like for us to think, isn't it? What could we possibly do? What could we possibly change? How could we possibly make a difference? And that's when we think of the Magnificat. Mary's song of praise, my soul magnifies the Lord. By the way, that's where Magnificat comes from, the first line of that beautiful song, my soul magnifies the Lord. For God takes the unexpected. God takes the unexpected hero and does amazing things through them, through me and through you. It's not about us doing great things, y'all. It's not about us doing great things. It's about us doing faithful things. If we do faithful things, 
God will take care of the great things. We get it backwards sometimes, y'all. We want to worry about doing the great things. That's not what it's, it's not about the great things. It's about the faithful things. And if we are faithful, God will do the rest. If we are faithful, God will do the rest. That is our hope. That is our peace. That is our joy. That is our life. Not in our greatness, but in our faithfulness. Because we just read the Magnificat. God takes the humble. God takes the poor. God takes the hungry. God takes these and uses them for great things. It's not about their greatness that does it. It's about God's grace that does it. So what can we do? We can share our faith. The most powerful thing that we can do in our life is share our faith with someone. One of my favorite lines in all the Bible is, uh, is Revelation twelve eleven, where it says, The devil is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of their testimony. We can share our faith of what God is doing in our life with someone. That's what Mary's doing here, y'all. She received confirmation from God. Because earlier we read, we read, well, we didn't read it, but it's in the, in the text that, that, that the angel comes and says, you're going to be with a child. This great thing's going to happen. And then she goes to her cousin Elizabeth. And when she meets Elizabeth, Elizabeth is also pregnant with John the Baptist. And the scriptures say that John in the womb rejoiced the presence of Jesus. She received the confirmation of what God has done. And she just sang out her song of praise about what God has done in her life, about what God is going to do. We need to sing out our song of praise. And maybe you're like me and you're not a singer. We need to speak our song of praise about what God is doing. One of the things that our bishop has had us do here in Mississippi a lot is what he calls glory sightings. Where have we seen the glory of God? And tell somebody about it. Name it. Where have you seen God's goodness? Where have you seen God's grace? Where have you seen God's glory? Where have you seen God at work? Name these things. We need to share our faith with those who don't have it. And even those who do have it. I love to tell the story for those who know it best. seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. When's the last time you told somebody what God had done in your life? When's the last time you gave praise to God for what he has done in your life? We need to share our story, y'all. We need to tell somebody what God is doing in our life. Now, I just tell God we got saved because that's part of our testimony, but that's not the totality of our testimony. Part of our testimony is telling God, telling folks what God's doing now. When's the last time you gave a testimony to what God is doing in your life now? We can, do, we can do great things by sharing our story. We can do great things by being encouragement, by being an encourager to somebody. Barnabas is one of my favorite stories, persons in all scripture, because Barnabas encourages Paul. Barnabas encourages Luke. Barnabas encourages Timothy. Barnabas is an encourager. He believes in Paul. He believes in Mark. And because of what Barnabas did, so many people Heard the good news of Jesus Christ. We all need somebody to believe in us, y'all. We all need somebody to believe in us. I often say, you know, hey, I got a wife who loves me and a family and a savior. I'm good, man. You know, I got Holly believes in me. I can I can tackle the world. I know I got her on my side. 
We need somebody to believe in us, which means we need to believe in somebody else. So, yeah, we need to tell others our story. We need to tell others what we see in them. When's the last time you encouraged somebody? When's the last time you sent a text of encouragement to somebody just to say, hey, thanks for what you do? When's the last time you did that? People need that, y'all. We all want to hear an attaboy and an attagirl, don't we? We all want to be encouraged. When's the last time you encouraged somebody? When's the last time you encouraged somebody in the same way that Barnabas did? We can make a difference by sharing our faith. We can make a difference by being an encouragement. And we can be an encouragement by helping somebody. That, that's one of the primary ways we can do it, is that we can help somebody. In this Christmas season, this Advent season, you can help somebody through birthday gift for Christ here at our church. You can help somebody by, 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 by giving to church or to some other organization. You can help somebody by, by just by, by helping to feed those in need through church, through some other, other organization in your own life. When was the last time you and your family did a mission project? I was talking earlier, about, earlier to Jason, with Jason about this, about how one of the things that's important is for families to do mission projects together. When was the last time you and your family served together? When we were in Ripley, uh, Ripley was so far away uh, from family that sometimes we couldn't make it home on Christmas. You know, we, we would always stay at home on Christmas morning, and then we would get up and leave and go see family. Well, Ripley was so far away. And if you've got a Christmas day on a Saturday, for instance, and I got church the next Sunday, it's kind of hard to drive five hours home, then five hours back on the same day for service the next day. So a couple of times where we were in Ripley, we didn't, um, we didn't uh, go home on Christmas Day. But they had a big meal at, uh, the first Monday, which was the which the, the flea market there in town. And they'd put together a big meal for whoever wanted it. If you were hungry, if you were lonely, if you didn't have a family to be with, you could come to First Mondays. You could get a meal and get some company. And a couple of times when we were in Ripley, we did that on Christmas Day and we couldn't go home. We served. And those are some of my favorite memories of Christmas. Probably even more so than the time with family. Was the time that we served. I know that we made a difference. I know we made a difference. We want to know that, don't we, y'all? Well, we want to know that we made a difference. And we can. God saw something in Mary. He says, generations will call me blessed. He saw something in her, that she was a true person of faith, that she was a true person who would be willing to be used and willing, willing to be the one that could make this difference. God saw something in Mary, and he sees something in you. Even if you don't feel it, even if you don't believe it, he does. He sees something in you. And through his grace, you can change the world. I'm not a big NFL fan. I've never, I've never, I've always been more than, more of a college fan. But I, I, I've, I've never just, I've never lived and died with any NFL teams. Growing up in South Mississippi, I guess if you call me anything, I was a Saints fan, but but I never really, I never really cared a whole lot. 
But growing up down there, I had, had an uncle that lived in New Orleans, aunt and uncle lived in New Orleans, so I'd go watch the Saints play. And for most of my life, the Saints were terrible. I mean, if you go back and look at their history, this whole business of the Saints being good, that's a very modern thing. Because for most of their most of their existence, the Saints were awful. They were the ain'ts. They were the can'ts. They were terrible. But one of the most the the, the, the pivotal moment in Saints franchise history was when they signed Drew Brees. And I don't know how many of you know this about Drew Brees. If, you remember, if you're a big NFL fan or sports fan, you may remember this. Brees was the quarterback for San Diego. Um, he was a, a good ball player, second-round draft pick out of Purdue. Um, you know, he was, a, he was a fine quarterback, but he wasn't anything particularly special. But he, he played hard and had some success. But he blew his shoulder out. He, he, had, a, he, he had a shoulder injury that was catastrophic. And, um, and he was a free agent that year. So he hurt his shoulder, and they went into free agency. Left San Diego. They had signed, they had drafted a, uh, a quarterback out of the draft and who they were going to give the job to, Phillip Rivers. And so uh, Drew Brees went on the free agent market. And um, his first choice was Miami. He was going to, Miami had a quarterback, a coach. You may have, I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. Um, named Nick Saban. Saban was the quarter, was the coach for Miami at that point, and Drew Brees was the guy that he kind of wanted, and um, he, he was going to sign with Miami. But the doctors looked at his shoulders and said, "Oh, there's no way. His shoulder's a mess. There's no way we're signing him. There's no way you're crazy to sign this guy with that shoulder. He won't last a year here." So based on Miami, he said, "No, we're not signing you." So he wound up signing with the Saints. And nobody knew what to expect. I mean, he wasn't a high draft pick. He wasn't, he wasn't really that big. And, uh, and he had a messed up shoulder. Who knew how long it was going to last? Basically hung, held together through duct tape and bailing wire. And so he signed with them. But nobody thought anything really big was going to happen. And then guess what happens? He turns into Drew Brees. <laughs> and the Saints turn into the Saints. And now they're one of the most consistent franchises in all the NFL. He set all these records. He's a surefire Hall of Famer. Uh, greatest player in Saints history. But it didn't look like it was going to turn out like that at first. It was very unexpected. And that unexpected turn changed the fortunes of the Saints. And... Changed the fortunes of New Orleans in many ways because some would say the Saints were pivotal in New Orleans coming back after Katrina. This was very unexpected. But amazing things happened. God takes the unexpected heroes like Mary, like David, like me, like you. He does amazing things with them. The thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. God has great things in store for our world. And God has great things in store for me and for you. Let's be faithful. Let's see what God wants to do. I know that God is going to do great things through us. If we are faithful, God will take care of the rest. God chooses unexpected heroes. May we rejoice in that today. Let's pray. Let me, God, we thank you for using the humble, for using the weak and the frail to do unexpected things with God.
Thank you for using us in unexpected ways, God. Help us, God, to be faithful. We know, God, that you will take care of the rest. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen.